Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 98, recorded September 22nd, 2012. So for our 40th 90s episode, we're going to do things a little different and have Taz and The Next Generation all in one episode. Both? Both. This should be great. So uh, normally we would have done Taz 49, 50, and 51, but we already did 49 and 50 back when we did our Gary 7 episode. Right. Way back when, so we're not going to redo those. So we'll just do 51 of that, and then we're also going to do the Next Generation Annual number 4. Cool. From 1993. Yeah, so if you remember, we did the original series Annual number 4 back when we were doing our Pike series, because that was a flashback of uh, Spock being on Pike's uh, Enterprise. So that one was already covered. So we just took these two orphaned ep- issues and, and made one episode out of it. Kind of made a family of them. Yeah. The orphans. <laughs> so both, and, of these, both of these stories are good, I think. I, yeah, they are good. You know, not a top ten. Won't make it into a top ten list, but uh, I, I enjoyed them both. They, they were both had their uh, some small issues, but overall I enjoyed them both. And I thought they both did a, a a good job of tying into something from either another movie or another series. So it's it it's a standalone story, but it also has ties in with something that happened before. So it felt like a continuation and a standoff standalone at the same time. It was good. Cool. Very good. I guess since the original series happened before the next gen, we'll just do that one first. Sounds good. Chronologically speaking. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I have the pleasures of synopticizing issue number 51 entitled Renegades. This came out August of 1993. And the writer is Dan Mishkin. So first time we've seen him, I think. Letter is Bob Pinaha. Pencilers is Daryl Skelton and Steve Carr. Colorist Tom McCraw. Inker is Arnie Starr. Editor is Alan Gold. So the cover is a very interesting shot of Savick. Uh, she is garbed in some type of weird armor, some kind of warrior armor that might be more from like a Conan or He-Man cartoon, you would think. Uh, in one of her hands, she is holding a nasty-looking sword. And in the other one, a wicked-looking blaster of some sort. And the title on the cover says... Deep in Romulan space, Savick tracks down a traitor. So the story starts off with a brief one-panel shot of Kirk at the command chair, and we can see Chekhov and Valeris at their stations in front of him. Kirk's logs inform us that Savick is alone in Romulan space on a covert mission. He also states that if anyone can pull this mission off, it will be her. So we flash to a strange planet uh, with some weird, like, light. And when I say light, I mean, like, energy-looking light 
walkways in the sky. So it's it's a very unique look. So on this strange planet, Savik is being attacked by a Romulan who's bald with the exception of a very long ponytail type top knot on the top of his head. It's a, a unique looking Romulan style, I thought. He is accusing Savik of being a smuggler with cargo that they can steal. He then accuses her of being a cop of some sort. Or maybe she's a government spy there to watch the cops. So needless to say, he doesn't know who she is. But he and his buddy are going to attack her all the same. So the fight between Savik and these two men is brutal. She takes one of them out by ripping a ATM out of the wall and throwing it at him. Then she is stabbed with a large knife in the side before she's able to push the last attacker into a elevator-type energy tube that takes him up to the light bridge several stories above. She is able then to make her escape. She's able to make her way to a crowd of people of various species. She yells for Professor Erickson. So a human, obviously Erickson, hears her, and he tries to make her run for it into a parking area for some small one-man land speeder-looking ships. She tackles him, but he's able to get a phaser out, so she hides behind one of the speeders. He accuses her of being a Romulan pirate. When she gets a chance, she flips a whole speeder on top of him. She then gets to his gun and fires it at him. We then flash to a small, stolen Romulan ship. Savik and the awakening Erickson are en route to the Federation space. Erickson is told that she is a Vulcan and that she is returning him to Starfleet. He tries to explain his reasoning for defecting. He has invented something that can be used as a weapon by the Federation. He thinks that it's far too powerful for just one side to have, so he wants to give the same technology first to the Romulans and then to the Klingons. That way, all sides will have the same advantage. He also thinks that it should be every being's right to live free of fear of a galactic war. Savik shows pain due to her knife wound. Erickson is very helpful in assisting her with first aid. Savik then informs him that his partners back at home were killed by a Romulan agent, including Dr. Tassine, uh, who was a Vulcan woman, which Erickson had once had a relationship with. Erickson just cannot believe that the Romulans would do this. Before Savik can cross the neutral zone to safety, they are faced with a Romulan warbird. They show off that their small ship has a few surprises hidden in it when, with some hidden phasers and photon torpedoes. The ship is too small for the larger warbird to get a solid lock. Erickson proves his loyalty to Savik, and she allows him to help control the ship as they make their attack runs. Eventually, the warbird is damaged enough that it limps away. In the excitement of their victory, Erickson shows a little too much familiarity with Savik by giving her a mighty embrace. He then kind of sort of offers to be more than friends with her as he was once with Dr. Tassine. And you have to kind of admire the guy to be thinking about loving when they are trying to escape from hostile space. Savik politely turns him down. They enter the neutral zone when they pick up another ship on their scans. This one is a Constitution-class starship. The Federation ship is not answering their hails. 
Erickson paints a gloomy picture that the Federation is going to destroy them, since it will look like they're just a small Romulan ship trying to escape the neutral zone. They will then have killed the traitor and the half-Romulan officer that they could spin into looking like she was a traitor herself. She is not surprised when she finds that the transponder codes do not match any known Federation ship. She correctly deduces that Erickson programmed the computer to switch the signs of the next Romulan ship as a Federation ship. But he was unable to modify the transponder codes. She also points out that she had never told him that she was half Romulan. There is a, a short scuffle where Erickson is knocked to the floor and Savick returns the ship on its course into Federation space. Erickson explains how he was already informed of her mission by the Romulans he was going to be defecting to. They had this very elaborate plan to trick and to capture her. Erickson sees defeat, but he still has an ace up his sleeve. He activates a personal communicator on his wrist and requests beam-up from the Romulan warbird. But instead of beaming away, he instead is writhing in pain as a neural serger electrocutes him to death. The Romulan commander contacts Savick and congratulates her on her victory. Savick is stunned, and she wonders what kind of victory could this have been. The end. Hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Love seeing Savick in her own little uh, starring vehicle. Yeah, That's it was cool. really good. Yes. And uh, and and a uh, deep behind enemy lines kind of uh, spy story was kind of cool too. Although I got to say this uh, this Erickson guy is a real real winner. <laughs> Manipulative. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, but to uh, what goal? What was, what did he or the Romulans think that they were going to get out of capturing her? Well, you know, you, when I read the book, I obviously was not reading it closely enough because I missed a few things here, um, like the idea that uh, Savic called him on the fact that he he somehow knew that she was half Romulan. Oh, really? Well, um, I, I, I missed the part as I was reading it where she called him on that. Because I definitely wrote that down as something that I noticed. Like, how the heck did he know she was half Romulan? She never told him that. Yeah, he says um, it on page... Um, well, he, you mean she says it. Well, she... Yeah. He, well, he, he admits how he knew. Um, well, yeah, on page 21, when she calls him on it, she says, you know, I never told you I was half Romulan. He says that he had already met his Romulan counterparts... Um, and their intelligence learned the Federation scheme to abduct me using a half Romulan, half Vulcan, or they say actually using a Romulan, Romulan Vulcan half breed. So he, right. he, he, okay. they have that confrontation right there. Yep. 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 Well, as I was reading the, um, I think I honestly skipped a page, uh, you know, as I was, um, you know, scrolling through the PDF of the book, I think I, I, I skipped the page because I completely missed that part. That really explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember reading it, and I think that they, I had the same note you did earlier when he just says that she's a half Romulan, and I remember thinking, right. when did she ever say that? Yeah, and I looked back, and I saw that she didn't. I mean, why, why right. would she? Huh. 
Um, but yeah, it, it seems like an overly engineered plot just to to capture her. I mean, if they know who she is, she know they know she's just a lieutenant. I mean, it's like right. You know what? What were they really gonna get? Um, yeah, so right. the the little pirate guys, the the top knot top knot guy and his friend. I mean, they they were just like thugs or whatever. They weren't part of this ploy. I don't think. I don't. I agree with you. So, but if if he already knew that she was going to come get him, and why wouldn't they just try to kill her there on the on the planet instead of, you know, sending two warbirds out near the 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 neutral zone? Right. It seemed very elaborate. I thought. Well, I, and they must have wanted more than just killing her. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, exactly. Uh, they, they must have wanted to capture her, but and if this guy is that valuable, you know, because of the stuff he knows, uh, this this weapon that he knows, it's like, why are you? And she's just a lieutenant. Why would you be endangering this valuable guy that has technical uh, superior technical knowledge and can give you a weapon that would be very advantageous to you? Why are you even risking him unless you've already got all the information you need out of him? Right. So, uh... So, yeah, but if you did already have all the information out of him, why wouldn't you just send in a SWAT team to kill him? So you would assume they did get him. Well, I'm assuming they didn't get it, because that's the only way that, I mean, except to save her own life, the only way that this comes out good for Savik and our hero, you know, is if she accomplished her mission. And the main point of her mission was to stop him from uh, giving the technical information to the Romulans. Right. So that's the only way this would have come out good for Savik, and I heavily hope that's what happened. <laughs> but it's kind of a confusing story. I mean, well, and also, he's a human. He's obviously a human. He's just he's just walking around on a uh, Romulan uh, outpost Right, world. but there are a bunch of different species on that planet, so I'm... I'm... <laughs> And, and 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 I think they tried to explain it that way because that crowd he was in had a lot of different species of uh, of right. aliens, would, would... Uh, would, and that helped explain things. But still, he's a human. Right. I mean, th- don't humans kind of stick out a little bit? Uh, well, there was uh, a Kryptonian in that in that picture too. So a Kryptonian. They look. They look Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> a Kryptonian. So what? Are you you're you're joking? Of uh, course. No, or are you saying they actually put something on somebody like a big S on his <laughs> chest or something? Not an S, but if if you look at that page on or that panel on page four, where it shows okay, the crowd, I'm there. The right. guy that's right right in the bottom, the very lowest guy with the kind of a sun on his chest. Oh right, yeah, yeah. that that outfit is actually a um, uh, a Superman Kryptonian outfit? outfit from like the. Uh, it's called the pre-crisis version of Superman. So, uh, ah, and cool. if you watch like the original uh, Kirk Allen Superman serials, uh, that's that's the kind of outfits right. they they were wore in the serials too. So it kind of looks like a Buck ah, cool. Rogers type outfit. It's a little, it's a nice little. Yeah, Easter I thought egg. it was funny. I was like, hey, they put a Kryptonian in there. <laughs> right. Uh, there's another guy that looks like a Vulcan, but uh, maybe well, he's just a Romulan yeah. with Vulcan kind of uh, outfit on, like a robe kind right. of thing. Can we talk about the cover yeah, for a please. second? Uh, I think that is an absolute kick butt cover. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. I if 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 I may 
uh, kick Savic looks kick ass. <laughs> in fact, she looks like uh, futuristic Sheena, Lord of the Galaxy kind of shot. I mean, the she, I mean, she's shot from below, so she looks very powerful, you know, whatever. And uh, and and the outfit is kind of has like little Roman centurion kind of stuff. So it's like ah, so that that's the kind of Romulan tie-in, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then the, the the laser is very Buck Rogers-ish <laughs> kind of right. thing. Uh, and and the the knife she's got or a short sword. I mean, it's either a really big knife or a really short sword, with the uh, with spikes coming out of the, the the hilt guard. That looks nasty. That looks like it's almost like a Klingon <laughs> thing. It's like uh, she looks really uh, ready for action. Yeah. No, I I like the cover. And, and when I said that it yeah. looked like something from Conan or He Man, that wasn't supposed to be a, a dig because. I think both of those, you know, for the most part, they have good visual styles on their warriors and stuff, and and I think she would fit oh, in yeah. right in there with their. Yeah, I did. I did. I didn't take it as a dig, but it, yeah, it's like that. It's like um, I don't know, some pulpy kind of uh, outer space action thing. Uh, it, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty cool, like kind of retro feel to it. Right. Right. Especially with the laser gun in her hand, right? Which is what I meant when I said He-Man. You, you, you're a little bit older than me, so you didn't grow up with He-Man. But I always liked He-Man because he was, he was a barbarian, right? He looked like Conan, but right. he had sword. Right. He had he had gun, laser guns and and rocket chips and stuff too. So he was like this right. <laughs> this awesome combination of sci-fi and you know fantasy mixed together. Right. And that's what when I looked at her outfit, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of guns, mm-hmm. the doctor's gun that he's that he's using is a little confusing <laughs> to me. Well, it looks like a Star Trek V phaser, doesn't it? Um, it looks like it looks like the phasers they used in the motion picture and um, Star Trek Two, you know, Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan. It looks like those phasers that kind of look like a uh, a hand phaser type one that's been that that's that's been expanded in size and then they stick a handle on it on right. the bottom. But the way he's holding it, he's holding it backwards. Oh, is he? So r- right. So I this is kind of hard to uh, explain, but um, y- you know, <clears throat> on that particular device, the handle is further forward. Uh, on the on the upper part of the device, you know, mo- most guns today, the handles in the back, and then you got a big muzzle coming out the mm-hmm. front, you know, barrel and stuff. Uh, in the Star Trek phasers, they always had things where the handle was mounted further forward on the the device, so that uh, a lot of the device ends up like being over your wrist, not sticking out in front so okay. much. And that's definitely the way the phasers were in uh, in Wrath of Khan. He's holding it kind of backwards where the majority of the gun is sticking out forward beyond his fingertips, you know, beyond, beyond his knuckles. And even if you look at that, because I've, in my hand right now, I'm holding a Wrath of Khan uh, uh, Federation phaser. It's a toy, but it's pretty cool. Um, But the way the little buttons controls are, Mm -hmm. uh, it completely supports the fact he's holding it backwards. (laughs) So it's a good thing he doesn't actually fire it. (laughs) 
anyway, j- j- just wrapping this up because people probably don't care that much, but I'm just fascinated with phasers. Um, it looks like he's holding it backwards, but I figure, okay, it's just some kind of wacky, different, different kind of phaser design. It's not really the ones that that were in Wrath of Khan. But then there's a shot where it's on the ground. Yeah, on, on page and six. Then so- exactly, and then Savik has to uh, pick it up as the doctor's trying to reach for it, and looking at it. It looks pretty much like the uh, Wrath of Khan phaser sitting there on the ground. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I was just confused. Yeah, and I mean, you can't tell once she picks it up if she's pointing it the right way or not, but... <laughs> right. Well, she does shoot him. So hopefully she's pointing it the right way or the wrong person has been stunned. <laughs> but you know what? If you look at the picture, of, you know, because when she's pointing it at him, it, you just see the, the very forward you know, the very profile of it. But it does right. look like the little, you know, it looks like a little round knob type thing is at the front of what she's pointing at him, which would support that he is holding it backwards. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, looking at the, yeah, looking at the front of it, fr- from the very front, so the, like the muzzle end of it, the business mm-hmm. end of it, um, it does look like the Wrath of Khan phaser. Right. Okay. And it looks like she is holding it the right way, and he might not have been, but it's confusing. I'm sure he was, and it's just good thing confusing. he didn't shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I think I think the pencilers did a pretty good job in general. Uh, I like the ships in particular. Um, I think I think, but I gotta say, this is you know th- what they did with this phaser is a little right, confusing. right. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I I did catch the style looked familiar. I thought it was something from Star Trek Five, but. You definitely know your guns better than I do. Yeah, Star Trek V, uh, the phaser, they went back to something that looks a lot more like the original phaser. Oh, okay. Well, actually, they in five they actually used, well, they used two different kinds, but they definitely used the battle phaser for the first time. Oh, okay. So anyways. Which, again, right. looks a little bit more like the original phaser right. than, this, than the Wrath of Khan phaser. So do you want... Anyway, do you want to talk about the ships at all? Let's talk about the ships. Go. So the little shuttle ship or small ship, uh, it it has the like uh, engine section of like what we see in the you know kind of like a, a um, next gen type Romulan ship with a big empty space in the middle. But the uh, right. the part where they're actually in, instead of being a large like bird of prey type warbird type thing, it it just has like a little ball that looks like the medical frigates of the Federation ships. Right. Uh, it, yep. it, it was interesting. I thought. I, I thought it was a really interesting design. I, I like how they're continuing the um, the design evolution of when. <laughs> When the Romulans mystically in the original series went from their warbird design to using <laughs> Klingon designs, mm-hmm. uh, even though I thought the Klingons were their enemies, but maybe not, uh, and then they eventually evolved into what we saw, what we see on uh, Next Gen. Um, so I'm glad they continued that kind of evolution. You know, something in between mm-hmm. the two, the the Klingon, uh, the Klingon cruiser, and the eventual Next Gen warbird. Um, I'm glad they continued that evolutionary uh, steps with this shuttle because it it does in a lot of ways look like a mini version of what 
they're currently using in this time frame, which is something that's half uh, Romulan Warbird and half uh, Klingon Cruiser. I would say it's more two-thirds Romulan Cruiser and one-third... I mean, I'm a two-thirds Klingon Cruiser and one-third well, Romulan. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> you, use whatever percentage you want to. The, the main point is it's, it's making an evolutionary um, step towards what we know will, it will end up in, in next gen. So that's cool. I think right. th- that's attention to detail. I, like uh, I, did, I, I agree. My only thing with the smaller ship that I didn't like was that, um, I mean, it, it's not large. So where is it storing no. all of the photon torpedoes? Well, armaments? Yeah, because I, I we've agree seen that. in Star Trek Two and other Star Trek movies, the photon torpedo is, you know, coffin-sized. And yep. this little part we're there in, you know, this ball, which takes up maybe, you know, not quite half of the whole mass of the ship is only like a, a four seat, you know, only seats like four people. So where are they storing right. all these coffin sized, um, photon torpedoes? Right. And maybe they don't have a lot. I don't know, but, um, uh, it, it, it's, I have, I have similar questions. Like where they sleep, also. Well, they sleep sitting up. Uh, is, is it is it is it truly just in that sphere up front, or is there some kind of uh, crew quarters, even cramped ones, a little further back in the ship? Which is like eh, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, another thing is, so obviously this thing is not meant to ever land, because uh, I don't see where they could have landing gear on this thing. Mm. Uh, and if they did try to land <laughs> on the structure they've got, uh, you know, it'd just fall over because <laughs> it's front heavy. Right, right. So this must be uh, something that's only meant to be in the uh, in in space, never to land. Possibly. Yeah, it kind of wow. looks cool, though. I, I will I will admit that I like the design of the ship. Me too. The big ball at the beginning I didn't like, but then what, later when it showed it like weaving in between the the Romulan ship. I thought it actually looked kind of cool. Looked like a little yeah. mosquito, you know, biting onto a large <laughs> with phasers and photon <laughs> torpedoes. Exactly. It's like a bee, right? So, anyways, so uh, my my last comment is in regards to this first fight or the first couple of fights that she has on that planet, which the planet's never named, right. but it's obviously not Romulus itself. No, they say something about it being. Uh... Uh, right. An outpost, a Romulan outpost or something like that. Oh, outpost world or something. Right. So the, the knife that she gets stabbed with is a fairly large knife. So And it's a pretty, I mean, he stabs it up to the hilt in her inside of her chest. So it's right. not a, you know, flesh wound. And, right. and she still, even before and after, is showing, you know, above and beyond what we've ever seen Vulcans do. I mean, she rips something off of a wall and uses it. You know, I called it an ATM because that's what it kind of looks like. Right. But I mean, she just literally rips this out of the wall and throws it. And then later on, yeah, it's she on a post. flips over a whole car. Yes. Yes. Very Superman-like. Uh, and, and you know, Vulcans have super sure. strength uh, compared to humans. But yeah, I don't remember ever seeing uh, Spock quite display his strength like this right so i mean it was a cool shot and all but uh i thought it was a tad much yeah and especially well it just underscores how badass she is because even after getting stabbed 
she's able to throw an air car on uh, on the doctor, right. Doctor Erickson. And another thing is, she threw an air car on the guy. It's like, wouldn't that do more than just like <laughs> temporary, very temporarily incapacitate you to the point that you have to shoot him anyway? Right. It didn't even incapacitate I mean, it's him. Like, he just geez. it just caused him to drop the phaser. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, and you can tell it knocked right, him to the ground. Right. But come on, it's like you threw a, you threw an air car at him, <laughs> right? And, and, and mind you, the thing is like about the size of like one of those sea uh, doos or something. Well, maybe a little bit bigger than a sea doo, but still, this thing's big. It know? would hurt. I would think it would hurt. Yes, I agree. So what? I guess I lied. I did have another comment. Okay. Was he trying to manipulate her into some sort of a relationship so that? He could capture her, or was he really saying, "Oh, you remind me of Doctor Tassine, who I used to sleep with, and so I can sleep with you too," kind of thing? I, I thought that was a little odd. And she's like, uh, "This is not the time or place for that." Yep. I was like, I, "Kudos to him for you know thinking of number one, <laughs> but gee whiz, uh, it was weird." Yeah. It, it was weird, and it seemed like, at first, Savik might have been going for it a little bit. And it's like, I'm thinking to myself, this is this is this relationship is happening far too quickly. <laughs> She's on a mission here, and it's like, why would she be that interested in the guy in the first place? It's not like he's that handsome or something. Uh, I mean, is she that hard up? It's like... It just it just isn't adding up. Right. And then his mo. I agree with the first thing you said. The motivation for him doing what he's doing. Uh, at first, I thought he was actually a a good guy that was maybe in the end a good guy who's really kind of sort of falling for. But uh, in the end, I think the whole thing was manipulation. Right. Yeah, I thought it was weird. Yeah. 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 Very strange. Yeah. And then the other thing at the end, the Romulan commander just, uh, you know, killing him and letting her go. Right. Well, I mean, she had, what else if did he, she do? Try to kill Savick? Well, she. Uh, well, she could have, number one, transported the doctor off the ship. Because um, if, if he still had the knowledge uh, of that weapon that he had not given to them already then um, he was valuable. I mean, why why kill him? I mean, Savik was in no position to... Um, well, maybe they had shields right. up or something, but I don't remember them. I don't remember them even saying anything about shields on that small ship. No, they did, because they take a um, hit at one point, and he says the shields are down 40%. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, but the thing is, unless trans... Unless the shields were raised, why not transport them right. off? Why kill them? Why not transport her off? Right. I mean, she's you know she's bleeding. Um, and by the way, that transponder or whatever that uh, that allows them to track him, right. and then in the end also apparently lets him uh, be right. killed. Did that did that have the ability to also transmit audio of what's going on around the doctor? Well, I thought that he had like a little wrist communicator. Oh, rest commuter? Okay. Well, it sounded like somehow that Romulan commander knew what was going well, I think, on. The ship. I think he, so. he did when he called her. Oh, you think that maybe it was transmitting the whole time? Um, right. See, I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think that 
they never had plans for him to I think they were trying to get her for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, well, then why didn't they, ta- they take know. her then? Like I said, it, that, that, that's the part <laughs> of the story that really unra- you know, doesn't connect the whole why why this whole elaborate scheme at all. And right. you know, you would think that well, they probably already got all the information they need from him, right? Because they've already worked with him enough to come up with this stupid elaborate plan. Yep. So they probably already have the data, and I'm sure we'll never hear about it again. But you you got to think, okay, they have the data now. They're willing to risk him to try to get her for some reason. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Well, not much of a risk if they got the data. They don't. Well, need I know the data that's anymore. what I'm saying. It's, they're risking him because they don't really need him anymore. Even though, right. you know, Savick and he doesn't know that he's not needed. So they go ahead and, you know, install this neural surger without him knowing about it. And instead of beaming him up, they just zap him. Yep. Anyway. And in the yeah, and in the end, so so basically, Savik's so in that scenario, Savik's mission is a failure. Sure. Um. Uh, she does not stop the information from falling into their hands. Uh, and she's got the dead doctor on her on it, and and a stab wound in her side. So, oh well, at least she's alive. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that you know if if they ever mention this again, which I doubt they would. Which they won't. Uh, they they won't. would. You know, they would chalk it up as a victory because she kept him from being with the Romulans. But if if you think oh. about it the way I'm thinking about it, I don't see how that's a win because they must have already had the information from him. Right. And if they don't have the information from him, then that's a win for the Federation side. But it's like, why did they even risk him in the first place? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, trying to capture Sabic. Exactly. Yeah, but anyways, it's a one-off. It's probably never going to be mentioned again. So we're probably no, of course not. This of course not. By far, that's right. Just go with it and enjoy it. It was good. I I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed yeah. this next issue too. Even though it it also has some head scratching moments. Yes, it does, and it's quite long. So, uh, with no further ado, so this is the next gen annual number four. Published date, 1993. The title is A House Divided. Creative team is writer Mike W. Barr. Penciler is Jim Key. Inkers, Aaron McClella and Bob Smith. Colorist, David Graff. Letterer, Bob Panaha. And editor is Alan Gold. The cover shows Dr. Crusher in an uncharacteristically green Starfleet uniform. She appears distressed or disoriented. Just behind her is a thin girl with long brown hair behind her who is reaching out her hand to touch the good doctor's back. Overseeing all of this is a large blue male alien's head. The male alien appears to be from the same race as the brunette because they both appear mostly human except for a crinkly forehead. At the bottom of the page is the Enterprise D's saucer section, moving away from the battle section. The battle section appears to be firing on the saucer section, whose shields are flaring. There is no text to help explain the meaning of the cover, but it looks like Dr. Crusher is in the middle of this story. The story opens on the Enterprise D's bridge, where data is reporting they are 1.6 hours out from the Tantalus 7 uh, colony at current speed. 
Picard's log reports they are traveling to the penal colony Tantalus 7 on a mission that is both humanitarian and scientific. The forward view screen shows a large white space station in front of a large pink planet. Green satellites are around the space station, as is a green aura. Picard states it's the home of 10,000 of the Federation's most notorious criminals. They have all been removed except for a handful that await the Enterprise D's arrival. The captain opens a channel to the Tantalus space station and speaks to Dr. Hibero, who reports a bit of delay securing some of the prisoners. He expects they will be ready when Picard arrives. Transmission ends and Picard orders his senior officers to the briefing room. Their data explains the Pulsar PSR 2224 plus 65 is approaching Tantalus 7 at a relatively high rate of speed for a celestial body. The very strong radiation given off by the Pulsar requires the evacuation of all personnel from the prison colony within 15 hours. They will remove the last of the personnel, get as far away from the Pulsar as possible, and return the personnel there if safe once it is passed. Worf reports the Enterprise Brig will serve as a temporary prison. Geordi reports he completed a level 4 diagnostic on the engines and they will be ready in case some hasty maneuvers become necessary. Once they arrive at the colony, Riker takes the con and Picard, Data, and Dr. Crusher beam over to the uh, penal facility. After their transport over, Dr. Hibero welcomes them. The station security chief, Carruthers, reports an odd echo on sensors, but says maybe nothing, it's probably nothing to worry about. Elsewhere on the station, four heavily armed figures materialize in the station. At least two of them appear to be Romulan. The leader says they will sit tight and wait. Dr. Hibero formally introduces the away team to Dr. Carruthers and Odon, who represents the Trill. Odon seems to know Dr. Crusher quite well. Picard and Data go on a tour with Dr. Hibero and the chief while Odon and Dr. Crusher stay behind. Odon says how much Dr. Crusher used to like surprises and how much she recalls their days and nights together. Can you say the L word? Elsewhere on the station, Dr. Hibero introduces Captain Picard and Data to Keb Daylor, their single prisoner. He is a Trill whose symbiote is so powerful and ruthless that he completely dominates the humanoid host. He is apparently dangerous enough that Hibero thinks only a galaxy-class starship and crew are up to the challenge. Daylor is actually quite outgoing and says he is aware of what Data is. He says he hopes they will be able to play a game of chess. Data responds, saying he doubts his duties will allow it. Security Chief Carruthers shocks Daylor into unconsciousness, then opens the cell to start the prisoner transfer. The commando intruder team's leader, using a tricorder of some kind, says they are transferring him. They move Daylor out of the cell on some kind of an anti-grab stretcher. The Romulan SWAT team attacks as the Federation team is preparing to beam over to the Enterprise D. Odon, Dr. Crusher, and Security Chief Carruthers are all hit by directed energy weapons. Picard and Data fire on the intruders, and Picard signals a security alert to Riker on the Enterprise. 
Riker orders a security team to beam over, but the station's shields go up, and a Romulan warbird decloaks off the Enterprise bow. Dr. Hibero is hit by phaser fire, then Chief Carruthers. However, Daylor is able to get free, and then he shoots Data and Picard. The female Romulan SWAT team commander gets the injured Daylor off his bed and rushes him to sickbay. Riker is able to concentrate fire on the weakening starboard warbird shields and destroys the Romulan ship. The Romulan SWAT team leader forces Dr. Crusher to perform an operation with Daylor and Picard on adjoining operating tables. She asks Picard to forgive her. After destroying the Romulan ship, Riker asks for Picard to be hailed and to get additional information on the ship they just destroyed. Picard does not respond. Mr. Sherwood reports the ship's name is the Pride of Romulus, that it was reported missing two months ago. Riker asks Worf how long it would take to crack Tantalus seven shields. At that moment, the colony hails them. It's Captain Picard. He says they that there were some convicts that did not want to sample the Enterprise's hospitality, but things are now under control. They will be ready to beam over in a few minutes. Riker asks for the security code, and Picard gives it to him. Iota Lambda Mu. Riker says they will await his orders to begin the transport. On the station, Picard says, Poor Keb, he was a fine host. Dr. Crusher asks if he needed a, a new host, why did he pick Picard over Dr. Hibero or Chief Carruthers? Picard, who appears to be totally controlled by the Daylor symbiote in him, says there would be a certain symmetry to taking over one of his former jailer's bodies. However, Carruthers' meddling is forcing an improvised escape that is best accomplished using Picard's body. Picard slash Daylor says, speaking of Dr. Hibero and Chief Carruthers, he has some unfinished business with them. He takes the laser scalpel Dr. Crusher used for the operation, and with one clean, arcing, arching swipe, cuts both of their throats. They bleed out on the floor. Beverly screams, You monster! in response to the cold-blooded murder. An Andorian member of the criminal commando team and the Romulan commander named Trelia stun Crusher and Odon. Crusher slash Daylor gives the female Romulan commander Trelia a passionate kiss, but it's interrupted by the Andorian named Sartor, who suggests it's time to leave. Picard slash Daylor agrees, saying his work is done here, and looking at the five dead or unconscious bodies on the floor in front of him. Picard hails Riker and asks Riker to patch him through to the Enterprise computer. Perplexed, Riker does so. Picard identifies himself and is ready to give a command when he is suddenly showing signs of dizziness and disorientation. He recovers and gives the command to activate intruder control circuits on all decks. Anesthetic gas floods the Enterprise, putting her current 1,007 crew members to sleep. The computer reports the gas will break down in 60 seconds. On the space station, Picard slash Daylor grabs his head again and says Picard is fighting him. He says he needs an injection of a chemical that will help him suppress Picard. He suddenly turns on Trelia, grabbing her by the throat and chastising her to avoid another slip-up like that one, or it could be disastrous for all of them.
She grabs Picard slash Daylor's hand, removes it from her throat, and applies some Romulan strength, which causes Picard slash Daylor to wince in pain. She reminds him Romulans do not respond well to coercion. He backs down and says they should call this a lesson for the both of them. Picard speaks to the computer again and tells it to transport them to the ship. Once aboard, they put Data, Crusher, and the senior officers in the brig. Picard slash Daylor tells Hargon, the Tellarite, to put Odon into the captain's ready room. Later in the brig, Crusher comes to and finds Data in a separate room restrained by both the force field across the door and a separate green field across his neck, which pins him to the floor. Special restraints for a special officer. Across the hallway, there are still unconscious bridge officers. Dr. Crusher says if we could get to them, we should be able to wake them up. Data makes some comment about making chicken soup if he had a chicken, while he moves his foot into the electrical field of his cell's doorway. Data takes a nasty jolt, but the two force fields coming into contact through his body shorts both of them out. They are able to free themselves and wake up the other bridge officers. Data warns the freed crew, the brig is probably being monitored, so whatever they intend to do, they'd better do it fast. Indeed, on the bridge, Worf's tactical station tells Horgon that one of the force fields are down in the uh, brig. Daylor Picard orders them to get underway to put as much distance between them and the oncoming pulsar as possible. In the brig, Commander Riker asks if the intruder control circuits can be activated to do to the intruders what they did to them. Data reports those circuits have been overridden and deactivated. Riker says he has another idea. On the bridge, Daylor slash Picard orders Hargon to activate intruder control circuits, but Hargon reports Riker has changed the prefix code so he cannot. Trellia states they can take the bridge back. Daylor slash Picard tells her to be quiet and pipe him through to the ship's audio address system. Daylor slash Picard says throughout the ship, we'll have to get to the captain's yacht. Once away, we can use the pulsar field to jam their sensors. Let's go. Riker rather dimly takes the bait immediately and tells Worf they will throw a bon voyage party for Daylor's people. Not being quite so gullible, Data reminds Riker of Daylor's duplicity. Riker agrees and splits the forces. Riker, Geordi, and Worf head off to the yacht. Data, Troy, and Dr. Crusher intercept Daylor slash Picard and his people in the hallway leading from the bridge. They open fire. Daylor slash Picard attempts to tell them he is Picard and he's been able to overcome Daylor's influence. Troy can tell it's not Picard speaking, it's Daylor. So Data orders them to resume firing. Trellia gets hit and Daylor slash Picard orders the computer to beam them out to the battle bridge. At first, it will not comply, but Daylor slash Picard orders an emergency beam out, and it finally complies. The delay was long enough for Dr. Crusher to make it to them, and she ends up getting beamed out with the rest. On the battle bridge, Dr. Crusher uses her medical case to hit Daylor slash Picard. Before Hargon can shoot her, Odon karate chops him. The two ladies make a tactical retreat and run off the battle bridge. Daylor slash Picard tells Hargon to let them go. They can't escape, and they have more pressing matters.
Thaylor slash Picard tells the computer to disable all transporters and separate the battle and saucer sections. At the hatch to the captain's yacht, Riker and the boys are still standing around with egg on their faces when the computer announces warnings about the saucer separation. Riker attempts to tell the computer to disable all battle bridge functions, but too late. The separation completes. On the saucer section bridge, Worf's attempts to contact Dr. Crusher fail due to jamming on all frequencies. Data reminds them the saucer section does not have warp drive or photon torpedoes. Riker thanks Data for cheering them up. Daler slash Picard hails Riker and first attempts to call him Will and buddy up with him. When that fails, he threatens to report to Starfleet that his senior staff attempted mutiny. He also offers a bargain. In return for rejoining the two ship sections and giving him the full ship, he will give Dr. Crusher and Odon to Riker immediately. Then, when he has found an appropriate host, he will return Picard's body. The murderer and arch-criminal gives Riker his word. Riker says no deal and terminates the link. He then orders Geordi to get as much distance from the battle section as Geordi can manage. Geordi says he will try his best, but since they have warp drive, it will not be easy to do that. Geordi takes her up to full impulse, which is just short of light speed. Riker explains he is buying time until Picard can again reassert himself. Riker had a trill in his body once, and he knows what the symbiote can do to you. Any time now, Picard's body will feel the effects of the symbiote in him, and when that happens, they will have him. Though it is a risk for Picard, Riker says he has to take that chance. Daylor slash Picard orders pursuit at warp 1.5. Hargon begins to make a comment, considering their course of action, but Daylor shuts him down before Hargon can complete his sentence. Geordi reports they are following at low warp. Riker orders a hard-to-starboard course change. Now! Since the battle bridge is following at low warp speed to catch up quickly, when the slower saucer section alters course dramatically, the battle bridge will overshoot them by a country mile. They will be forced to reduce speed to sublight, therefore erasing their warp advantage. Worf asks if Riker has a tactic to nullify their photon torpedo advantage. Riker says he's working on it. On the battle bridge, Daylor is testily asking Hargon why he did not warn him that they would overshoot the saucer section. Horgon says he tried. Trellier suggests that maybe Daylor slash Picard should leave the running of the ship to experienced officers like her. Daylor slash Picard tells her no way and stays on the con, where he says he is getting quite comfortable. Meanwhile, Dr. Crusher and Odon are in a room where Dr. Crusher is putting chemicals from her medical kit into a recirculator device. Odon asks if she is attempting to pollute the air supply. Crusher says no, she is attempting something more subtle. Just then, they are flushed out of the room by the anti-intruder gas. Hargon and the male Romulan, with gas masks on, attempt to capture them, but find out that Dr. Crusher has given she and Odon an antidote to the sleeping gas. With surprise on their side, and apparently martial arts skills obtained from ads in the back pages of comic books, Crusher and Odon are able to take, take them down and tie them up.
After the fight, Odon attempts to talk to Crusher about the past, to which Crusher says it's in the past and they are different people now. In the captain's ready room, Daylor slash Picard chokes on a glass of Earl Grey tea that causes him to collapse to the ground with a very high body temperature. Trellia thinks the stimulate in the, in the beverage accelerated the deleterious effects of Daylor's presence in Picard's body. Daylor slash Picard begins to get up, spouting off paranoid statements about everyone being against him. Hargon reports they have caught up to the saucer section. As Daylor slash Picard makes his way to the con, he tells Trellia that finding Odon is their top priority. If Picard's body fails, moving to hers is the next best option. Failing finding her, he will have to move to another body. Any other body. Trellia orders to fire photon torpedoes at the saucer section. Riker orders the shields up and brace for impact. Worf reports minor damage to the starboard shields, holding at 93%. Riker quickly orders Geordi to reduce that shield's power to 30%. Riker is playing possum and hoping to lure the less experienced Daylor into a trap. Hargon reports the reduction in the starboard shields. The experienced space commander, Trellia, orders the next volley of photon torpedoes to be aimed at their port shields. Daylor objects, saying the classic strategy is to hit an enemy at their weakest point to get through their shields. Trellia says, so is playing possum. She says Daylor should leave the space combat strategy to her. He pridefully overrides her and orders they fire on the starboard shields. Hargon does so, but as the torpedoes leave the battle section and exit their shields, Riker orders phasers to target the emerging torpedoes. Worf does so, and they explode very close to the battle bridge's shields. The explosion rocks the battle section, and Trellia is knocked unconscious against a bridge railing. Daylor slash Picard dives to her. On the saucer section, Worf reports damage to the battle bridge, but the ship's weapons and warp drive are still fully functional. Riker says they need to change that, and tells Data to fire phasers. Daylor slash Picard tells Hargon to return fire, but Hargon is preoccupied with Trellia's injuries. Daylor slash Picard calls Dr. Crusher over the intercom and tries to leverage her Hippocratic oath to get her to help Trellia immediately. Crusher says yes, but at a price. Riker overhears the transmission and shouts, Dr. Crusher, don't do it! She does and enters the bridge with phasers trained on Daylor and Hargon. While Crusher administers a stabilizer to Trellia, Odon holds her phaser on the two men. When Crusher moves Trellia to get her to sickbay, it activates a device that sends electricity through Trellia and Crusher. Crusher is knocked out cold, but Odon is able to escape off the bridge. Daylor slash Picard says no matter, he has what he wants. Daylor threatens to harm Beverly if Riker does not surrender, but the transmission has loads of interference from the approaching pulsar. Riker tells Deanna to cut the transmission. Daylor won't know if it's they cutting him off or if it's the pulsar interference. Riker executes his next plan by transporting all of them off the bridge and to the Tantalus 7 station. 
Hargon informs Daelor of the transport, but they are not sure what Riker is doing. Daelor almost collapses again. He says he will take Dr. Crusher if he has to, but he will not die. Just outside the door, Odon says to herself that she will not let Daelor get Beverly. On the Tantalus station, Riker says he wants to use the greater power reserves of the station to crack the Battle Bridge's shields. Then he wants to beam over and take the ship back. Daelor forces Hargon to start the operation to get him out of Picard and into Dr. Crusher. On the Tantalus station, Geordi reports they have poked a hole in the battle section shields. Data reports sensors indicate Captain Picard's body is dying. They change the plan and attempt to beam Captain Picard to the Enterprise, but not in the normal way. Data and Geordi pool their resources to dematerialize Picard slash Daylor and Trellia to the Enterprise. In the process, they remove Daylor's symbiote and transfers it to Trellia's body. Data says it was a way to keep the Daylor symbiote alive, but in the injured Trellia's body where he can do no more mischief. Picard weakly speaks and confirms he survived and no longer has Daylor in him. Meanwhile on the battle bridge, Odon subdues Hargon and unties Beverly. They reunite the two sections and streak off in the Enterprise-D to transfer Daylor slash Trellia to a Trill vessel. Epilogue In sickbay, Picard describes to Riker what it was like to be a silent, paralyzed passenger in his own body. Riker says it sounds like a living hell, and that hell might be something like what Daylor is experiencing right now in Trellia's still unconscious body. Odon stops by Crusher's office to say goodbye, as only two former BFFs could. With lots of longing stares as Odon departs for the transfer to her trill vessel. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I should say good night. The end. The end. Donovan, are you awake? The end. That's a long one. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. The end. <laughs> Fifty-six pages worth. So, uh, so I-, I couldn't quite tell by your synopsis if you liked or didn't like the Odon relationship storyline. <laughs> uh, mine is not to judge mine is just to say interesting choice <laughs> to uh, make Dr. Crusher bisexual she's not bisexual what are you talking about that's why they can't what? be together because she's not well, but they were together in the past okay so you don't know who Odon is no it was the, the trill that was in Riker's body in that uh, episode, The Host. And remember oh, okay. uh, that Trill and Crusher had a thing going there for a while, and then at the end, they take it out of Riker and put it into a woman. And then oh, the, the woman's okay. like, well, well, I'm still Odon. And she's like, yeah, but I'm... Oh, I don't okay. go that way. And they, they okay. broke up. Okay. You remember that? We've talked about Excellent. it before. You didn't catch that that's who it was? No, not at all. Not at all. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> I thought it would. I couldn't tell yeah. during your synopsis if you were just being sarcastic or if you really didn't remember. I really didn't remember. Mm. Don't remember that episode. Now that you mention it, I kind of remember it. Yeah. So It was a good episode. I'm surprised you don't remember it. No, not really. Anyways, 
So yeah, that that's that's that was her past. They're not BFFs. They were cool. lovers when she was in Picard's body. I mean Riker's body. Yeah. Riker's Which body. I always thought okay. was weird because that means that Beverly's had relations with Riker, whether he knows it or not. But okay. What I don't get though is when you've got a trill symbiote in you, when you've got a symbiote in you, you're still aware of what's going on, right? Uh well, that's just it. The I was never in the uh, yeah. in that next generation episode. I did not think that I did not think Riker had any knowledge of what was going on. But in this uh, this issue, well, it seems so like is they do. is that? But and is it, is that retconning to some degree? If I'm using the word right, uh, because in Deep Space Nine, uh, it really is a symbiotic relationship, right. right? I mean, you've got the humanoid. And the uh, symbiote slug in the body making a whole person. Right. So, you know, it's two halves. It's more of a partnership, not a, uh, you know. So if it's, if, it's a, if it's a partnership and the slug is not the only thing that has consciousness, then Riker would know. Right. Well, that's that's what they acknowledged in Deep Space Nine. But I didn't, I don't remember that being the case in the case with Riker. that Riker episode. Right. So in this one where Riker says, um, I had a trill in me. I know what can happen. He was told after the fact because he didn't actually remember any of it. Uh, Again, when I watched that episode, the host, I kind of got the feeling that he did not know that he and Crusher have been, you know, an item. Right. Which which would make things more complex. Right. So (laughs) so now that now that they're acknowledging that he did know makes his relationship with Beverly even more awkward after the fact. Right. Hey, Beverly, remember that little mole you have? Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to know that. That was when I was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, Riker's a horn dog, so he was like going, yes, it did the doctor. <laughs> Mark her off the list. Check. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, okay, so there's two da- down, 500 more to go. On He's ship. bragging. Right, there you go. She would not give me the time of day until I pretended like I was somebody else. <laughs> so write that down as a new strategy of conquest. And if that doesn't work, pretend like you're the, the transported clone of yourself. That works every time, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so I like that this was a, a, a throwback to that episode, The Host. I think It's called The Host, right? I... <laughs> You're asking me? No, I, I I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Uh, all right. Well, we're just gonna call it the host. That sounds like a reasonable. Uh, it sounds like a good title for that episode. If right. it doesn't. And and it, and again, it was it was a weird episode in that uh, you're going to have two of your main characters get together and then, but not really. And I think it would have been more interesting if they had to uh, like showed a little bit of them dealing with that afterward. But they chose obviously not to do that because I guess Riker in the episode never acknowledged what happened. Right. I'll probably have to go back and rewatch that episode. Right. But, uh, but anyways, uh, I I like that storyline. I like that movie. I like that episode. I I always thought it was kind of funny how they, you know, acknowledged at the end of the episode that, you know, we could still be together. And then Crusher's like, I am, but you're a girl now. I don't go that way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know you're still yeah, the person exactly. I, I love. I don't swing uh, that way. You don't, 
you don't have the plumbing I like, so... Uh, exactly. <laughs> which I, you know, for, for Star now, Trek, always trying to be so, you know, open about all types, you would think that that would be something they would want to explore. I mean, they, they kind of do it later with, uh, with Dax, but that seemed kind of a miss on the Next Generation story. Yeah. Well, that's what... So how long was Odon in that episode? I mean, was she just she was introduced at the, bear, at the very end, or bear, she was... That, that girl, okay. the, the, the woman. Odon. Odon. Earlier, it was a, right. a man named Odon, and then he gets killed, oh, and okay. then they take the right. worm out of him and put it into Riker. Into her. Riker first. Well, okay, you're right, then, right, right, right. But then you see her at the very end. end. Right. Okay. So, with the right context of this episode, because they don't actually make any references to anything, you just have to remember... Odon, the name Odon, and that he was a. They're not, the human beings are trills, right? Oh, I think they're both. Yeah, they're the humans. The the humans are trills, and the other ones are called symbionts. Right, right. That's what I remember. Okay, so you'd have to remember the uh, the Odon name for the symbiote, and then the girl at the end of the right. episode. It, it's like I can see, obviously a mistake on my part, not remembering that episode, um, but. I can see that, I mean, there's probably people that would be reading this book and might have missed that episode. Right. Or might not remember it, like in my case. Uh, But at least in 1993, that episode would have aired not that long ago. Right. So maybe that's a major. I remember 1993 was, yeah, you had VCRs, but nobody had DVRs like we do now where, you know. Right. I remember as a kid. I never watched a whole episode of anything because I would always miss an, I mean, yeah. a whole season of anything because you would always end up missing an episode here or there just because life gets in the way. Right. Uh, so sure. I never saw a full season of Star Trek until it probably came on DVD and I, I could finally watch them all back right. to back to back. Um, right. But, right. So my point is, if you didn't make that connection right. or maybe didn't see the episode... You had nothing <laughs> to tell you, uh, you know, that at least one point in, in her life, maybe Doctor Crusher was a little bit more open to experimenting, <laughs> shall we say? Yeah, you could misread that this this issue as that. Yes. 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 And uh, at this at this time, you would have probably not. Re- I mean, Deep Space Nine was already out when this when this issue came out, so we already are familiar with the Dax Trail. So it's right. possible that some people might not have remembered that Trills originally had the bumpy heads. Right. And, and a bit right. confused that's, there. Oh, that's another good point. Right. They changed Right. Them. And I think that originally, <laughs> um, what's her name? Uh, Terry Farrell, uh, who right. played the first X. I think originally right. she was supposed to have the bumpy head thing, but uh, they, they decided that it was you know, too cumbersome. So they just did the the dots. Okay, so it's too cumbersome. Uh, it's too cumbersome for uh, her and that character, but it wasn't too cumbersome to do that and a hell of a lot more on Michael <laughs> Dorn for, you know. Well, maybe it wasn't seasons. as fetching. I don't know. I, I just know that yeah. I have seen pictures of Terry Farrell in the, the bumpy head makeup. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. So at least they went that far. Right. But just decided for whatever reason to back off. Right. Maybe they thought, you know, Kira already has the, the Ocompens already have, or not Ocompens, um, 
Bajorans. I don't know. Yeah, they could they could have been confused. Confusing. But, I don't know. They they made a lot of good jokes with little dots, you know, you know, with the little spots where somebody would ask, right? How far do those spots go? And, you know, she'd be like, Yes, exactly. Oh, I'll, sh- I'll show you, baby. I don't know. I, I just remember there was there's a lot of episodes where it's kind of implied that that's kind of a, a sensual subject. Exactly. Well, at least Worf got to find out. Before she got killed. Spoiler, what if anyway. somebody hadn't watched that episode yet? Oh, come on. <laughs> anyway, so back to this issue. Was there more prisoners on the ship on the space station and, and they just got fried? Well, let's just talk about let's talk about disappearing people in okay. general. Uh, we originally had the impression there were multiple people that need prisoners that need to be transferred. But when we get there, we find out, I think from the doctor, um, that, or Hibiro, that there's, they've really only got one guy left, but he is so dangerous that you need a galaxy class starship to make sure the transfer goes well. So I had the impression, although they first made it sound like multiple prisoners, I think think they handled it clearly enough that it really is only uh, one. Okay, so that's what he means when he said that. All right, because I, I had a, uh, I was a little confused on that. Yeah, what I'm confused about, and maybe you can clear this up for me, is what happened to the 1,000 people on the Enterprise? Oh, they're still just knocked out. Oh, okay, that is, there are multiple possible explanations. Right. Um, one thing is the anesthetic gas which I think every other time they used it did not last for like huge amounts of time. Sure. I mean, it puts you out, but I mean, it, so 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 this thing is keeping everybody knocked out uh, for like 15 hours right. or something. Because uh, because indeed the bridge officers are the only people that uh, Doctor Crusher is able to you know wake up with uh, her good hypo. Right. Okay. So we got uh, a thousand people sitting unconscious between the uh, saucer section and the uh, battle right. section. Okay. Yeah, sir. And that's why. Now, yeah. now it, it it made things simple because <laughs> you only had a, a limited number of people to deal right. with. But it's like, um, you know, you, why didn't somebody just start waking people up and using the numbers and just storm the damn battle bridge or something? Does not make know. sense. Does not make sense. Yeah. yeah. And and, and no. why would you just why would you even bother taking the 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 main crew, the bridge crew, and putting them in the brig. Why not just lump them up in the corner of the bridge and let them sleep, sleep it off? It was a bad call for right. them to ta- to move some of those people back into the brig. Yeah, let's move everybody together <laughs> where they can where they can devise a clever escape. Yeah. So, well, there were lots of things that didn't quite right. make sense, like like Riker going to back to the space station. And the whole reason given is, ooh, uh, the increased power uh, of the space station is what they'll use to poke a hole in the uh, battle bridge. Right. But then, uh, it's like, but then they didn't explain. I mean, what, how are you going to use that power? Are you, are you hitting them with a, la- a phaser? Are you? I mean, h- how are you poking that hole in there, Jordy? Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't even bother explaining nope, that. This, we did it. Yeah, we, it's in. We got. We have a hole. <laughs> yeah. No, that didn't make sense. So, um, yeah, whatever. There, 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 there are multiple things that had me scratching my head, but um, overall, it was good. It was kind of long, but it was good. I think the villain, 
uh, Daylor, uh, is a good villain, but for such a smart guy, he does a lot of dumb things. Right. Uh, and, and I guess they're explaining it because of his hubris, his his overconfidence, his whatever. But it's like, dang, he did a lot of dumb things for a very smart guy. Right. Yeah. No. He he's a. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't like him. I thought that he was kind of a a one note villain. Yeah. And then. Right. Uh, then you never, I, I, the the Romulan woman, you know, that's obviously his lover, right? I mean, right. What does she see in him? He treats her like crap. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he he's a slug when you get right down to it, and it's not like the original host body was any any big deal. Any yeah, she, she didn't care that he um, died. Like, yeah. What's what's important is the slug inside, right? Which is what which is what Crusher's thought at first too, until until it got out of Riker and into a woman. <laughs> right. So, anyways, uh, I thought there was a, uh, a few plot holes there. Yeah. And then um, I do agree with you that Crusher and Odon are very uh, Charlie's Angels esque. Yeah. Yes, in their abilities in hand to hand combat. Okay, so so when when Beverly is shocked when she picks up the the Romulan. Uh, chick, Trellia, whatever. Odon had the gun trained on the other two. Uh, it's like, why didn't she use it? I mean, I know that would have ended the story too quickly, but supposedly they didn't have weapons on them. And she had a gun trained right on them. So it's like, and she just runs out. It's like, oops, tactical retreat Where is again. This? Uh, towards the end of the story. Yeah, so towards the end of the story. Crusher is there on the battle bridge, uh, working on Trellia. Right? Oh, okay, okay. And and then uh, the booby trap is underneath Trellia and shocks Crusher and I guess Trellia too into unconsciousness. Now while Crusher was trying to help Trellia, Odon had a phaser, and she had that phaser trained on Picard slash Daylor and uh, and and the the Andorian guy. Right. So when the shock happened, and I'm sure Odon was like, oh, Beverly. Uh, but it's like, you had a gun. You had it trained on them. They didn't have guns. It's like, why didn't you just shoot them? Anyway. Well, yeah. Well, and, and for you guys listening at home, that's page 49 where that happens. And, and word for word, she says, Beverly, and then starts running away. And leaves Beverly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, from that standpoint, doesn't... I mean, if you care about her, you're going to shoot the guys that right. could hurt her. Yeah, whatever. Yes, it didn't make sense. But a lot of this didn't make sense. Well, It, it, it would have been over. It would have had the story over too quickly. And the I ending, I absolutely hated that they could do the whole uh, transporting two people, taking the symbiont out of oh, one person God, and putting that. it into the other person and oh, not have God. any problems. That was hard to say. Exactly. Because you're not talking about, I mean, you're talking about rearranging molecules to make up a, another person. So, you know, the yep. symbiont, I could see maybe taking the symbiont out. That that I could buy. Mm-hmm. But putting it into somebody else, I, I wouldn't buy um, doing right. through the transporter. Because you have to have room in the new person to, to accommodate the, the mass of the, the symbiont. You can't just, you know... If you beamed it inside that person, then you would be 
beaming it and mixing it in with, uh, you know, a lung or whatever. You know, because... You know, you're actually thinking about this too much. <laughs> you just got to go with it. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, which is another thing is, when they do the operation, they put the symbiote in. I, I don't recall exactly. Do, where do they put it in? Like the stomach. In the stomach yeah, the, area. Right underneath Ooh. the breastbone. Eee. Okay. Yeah, it just kind of slides in like a big worm. Exactly, but I mean, it looks like a pretty meef, beefy worm when they yeah, got no, it it's, out. It's... But what? But when it goes in there, it's like you don't have a paunch. Right. You're just like you're fine. You know, you still got that slim trim Starfleet. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Look, it, it worms but... its way in maybe through the intestines to to find a nice spot. I don't know. Uh... Uh... I don't know, but I did not like the ending where. They just did the old switcheroo. Exactly. I, that that was weak. It was convenient, but it was weak. <laughs> so, um, the artwork is okay. Yeah, I like it. I don't think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, there are some isolated panels that look pretty good. Uh, there's some drawings of Picard that look pretty good. But then there are other ones that yeah, I just don't think it's very... I, I'm not crazy about the right. artwork. I think hands. a lot of times, so it's a hot. I cold. think a lot of times the the detail on the face, uh, maybe yeah. the the pencil lines were too small or whatever. And when the the picture mm. was, you know, because they they when they originally draw these, the pictures are quite large, and then they shrink them to fit the comic book page. I think because the pencil right. line was maybe too thin on the larger picture, and when it shrank, it, it lost some of its detail. Because a lot of times it seems like they don't oh. have enough detail in their face. To me. Right. And then sometimes they have too much, so what the hell do I know? (laughs) I don't know. But I will say one thing on the opening shot where they're on the bridge, a couple Mm -hmm. things. Uh, Number one, Riker looks like he's got chicken legs. (laughs) He looks too skinny. You're talking about on page. And his butt, he's got got no butt. Right. Yeah, so so what what page? I I don't see the page numbers. Okay, so page one, right. Um... And also, the guy who's in the um, who's next to Data, right? In the in the pilot spot, at least I think it's yeah. pilot spot. Um, it looks like he. It kind of looks like he's looking at at the reader. <laughs> now, I, I I can say that's in, that can be interpreted different ways, but I'm just saying the guy looks. <clears throat> you only see part of his face, but it looks like the one eye you see is looking at you. I, I thought that he was looking at Data's uh, console. Uh, Council. What, what are you working on? Over you there, you could interpret it that way. You're, you're playing <laughs> yeah, Galaga. Can I, can I, can you didn't think anybody would notice. <laughs> that was a good joke. Yes, I like that. Funny. Especially when they right. showed it later uh, that he was. That was a. That was a <laughs> Avengers. Uh, Avengers reference. I I'm sure every, all five people listening to this, I'm sure they all got that reference. All right, just making sure. You never know. I, I thought it was very uh, smooth how Dr. Hibero and Chief Carruthers got got cut in the throat. Very brutal. Unexpected. Yeah, I like, I, I like I thought it. Was, I like that. Yeah, right. Very smooth, very efficient Right. of Daylor. Yeah, he's just smiling. Yes. Yes. So that's pretty ruthless. Now, the, uh, the, the subtle thing Crusher did to the... Uh... The computer or whatever, or with the chemicals, did that. It, it, it the the thing she was dumping chemicals into was a recite was labeled a recycler. Right. So somehow was she dumping that so that when he got a drink of Earl Grey, it would cause this reaction? 
Because that's what I was thinking. I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure. I mean, I when she did it, I figured it was something that was going to affect the symbiote or uh, Daylor. Um, but I was never sure of what it ended up doing. So yeah, so you're saying it, it somehow got into the uh, replicator, and the replicator had that in the Earl Grey. It, that that would at least explain his reaction to the Earl right. Grey. But still, how does it? I don't know. Maybe it would have done it to anything he drank. So anything anybody drinks would have this reaction if they were a symbiote. Right. But if that was the case, right. then she should have said, "Oh, Odon, make sure you don't drink a glass of water for a while, because I'm about to screw it up." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, in the end, uh, her plan would have backfired on her if things didn't go just right, because she almost ended up having uh, Daylor put in her. <laughs> right. Yeah, so crush her with a symbiont. That would be crazy. <laughs> Wacky. Yeah. Remember that in a couple of years. Just, just saying. Wacky. And then uh, after she gets stabbed in the arm, we see that they have a ladies' room uh, in the Enterprise on page. Oh, is that where they went yeah. into? Did it actually say ladies' room well, on, the, point, on the entrance she or something? points to a door, and then they go in the door, and it has like this large sink. looks like a, like a normal restroom that you would get. It has several sinks, so it, it's like going to a restroom there in your office or – that is an excellent point because isn't there like a moratorium? You can't show toilets. No, you just see the <laughs> toilet. You just see multiple sinks. <laughs> so maybe they. Well, no, but no. But, uh, in the original yeah, no. shows, did they ever have a scene in a no, toilet? No, never. I, I didn't think so. So is this in fact the first uh, toilet scene? Well, again, it doesn't show the toilet, so you can't say that. But it does show sinks. So there is. There's an episode of. Next generation, where it shows Troy going to a sink in her in her room, which is implied yeah. that's near a restroom, but it never says. Right. And and in first contact, near the beginning, uh, Picard goes to a sink and oh, gets right. water splashes and splashes his face. His face. Right. So we know they right. have sinks. We just don't know if they have toilets. Yes, we don't know if they have crappers. So this could have just been a you know multi sink room. <laughs> That's probably what it said on the on the on the yes. door on the out uh, the sign on the outside. Come here to wash your hands. Sink, sink room. It's a sink room. Anyways, <clears throat> my last comment I think is going to be the separation of the saucer section. I always thought was a little more detailed than just computer do it. I I, I have the same. Because in uh, encounter at Farpoint, it seemed like it was a big deal for Riker to be doing this for the first time, and right, you know, yeah, and also it seems like there was like maybe some engineering staff and stuff that would be involved in making it happen, right. and there wasn't anything. The computer just handled the whole thing. And I always hated. And there were a lot of things the computer, the computer was yeah. doing. Yeah, that and in general, I mean, you remember in what Star Trek Four. When they had to go red and gate and, and get yeah, Spock, um, Spock. Uh, Scotty's automation, uh, you know, was a big deal, and uh, you need a lot of people to run a starship. So apparently, they took care of that automation challenge by you get, the time you get to the next gen, because basically, they're running all these things, both the separated saucer and the battle section, uh, and in and in firefights, no less, with you know like a handful of people right. running things. Yeah, so those other thousand people that are on the ship are just cannon fodder. 
<laughs> exactly. What do you? Okay, so you have science teams and things like that that only do things when you actually go to a pulsar or go to a planet that you would need a geologist. Um, and everybody else is super superfluous. Right. Yep. You know. So. Yeah. I wonder about that. Uh, I thought the automation yeah, was kind I'll, of weird. I always hate in, that. In, in many I areas. Always, in many I always areas. hate that. that yeah. the, uh, you can just tell the computer to do something, and it just does it. Right. Uh, another thing I hate is when you have to ignore Einstein's theory of relativity to go with the, go with the storyline. So um, if I remember correctly, uh, the theory of relativity says if you, if you start to come towards the speed of light you don't have to be at the speed of light but even towards the speed of light you'll start feeling relativistic effects that will essentially kind of slow down time for the people that are reaching the speed of light yeah but they they always they always skip that because well but but in the warp bubble yeah I, I guess it's a I guess it's a different topic in the warp bubble you're supposed to be able to get past the speed limit at the speed of light. Right. Um, but that still, the warp bubble does not necessarily solve the time, the temporal issue, right? right? Anyway, I'm going to stop this because it, it, it always gets confusing. But it just, just annoyed me that they're on full impulse going close to the speed of light. And it's like, well, if you really were doing that, then uh, time would have slowed down for you and everybody on the battle section, the battle bridge, you know, would be in a different time right. frame. But whatever. Whatever. Yes, I, I get what you're saying. But I also don't get that this you could just make a hard right and your guy will just <laughs> fly off to nowhere. Well, I could I could see overshooting. Sure. But um, it's like, again, what, 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 so Daylor's dumb. He orders uh, warp 1.5. I mean, why are you even using the warp? Well, it's going almost warp. It's almost going warp one. So you need to go a little fa- faster than warp one. Well, but exactly, but not warp 1.5 or whatever. No, whatever. Uh, yeah, right. It, it doesn't make sense. And even if you did overshoot it, you know, you could turn around and do it again because you can go yep. as fast as you would ever want to, and they're still only going to be going so far, so fast. Exactly. It'd be like trying to catch up with somebody who's walking and you're in a car. Yep. I can either go just slightly faster than you and catch up with you, but if I miss you, I can turn around and I can go even faster yeah. than that and still get you. Right. And and eventually I'm going to close the right. distance. But, and indeed, they eventually right. did, but whatever. Uh, it just took longer than it should have. And I did <clears> like <throat> I did like Worf's. Uh, I think it was a sarcastic comment. Do you have a plan to nullify the, those photon torpedoes too? Yes, it was. <laughs> and, and I think Riker was uh, a little perturbed when he turned around and said, I'm working on it. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that was good. Uh, these are just some minor points, but on page 19, I'm just kind of wondering, how did Sherwood, who, by the way, Sherwood re- was referred to as Mr. Sherwood, and it's a girl. Well, that's kind of the Star Trek so, thing. They always do that. Well, they don't always do that, but they – like Mr. Savick. Right. Okay. I think there was a point when Spock referred to as Mr. Savick, or maybe it was Kirk. I don't know. But um, So it does happen. Right. But, you know, I just I, – when do they and when they don't they? Because they don't refer to 
all female crew members as Mister. So uh, whatever. But getting back to my main point, um, how did she know that the Romulan ship was reported missing two months ago? I mean, do, do the Romulans <laughs> publish this kind of stuff? Well, she called Lojack, and Lojack informed them that there wasn't. A... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, future Lojack. Well, I could uh, that that apparently posts all of its. So the only other explanation I could see, because I don't think the Romulans are in the in the habit of informing Federation of of their ships' whereabouts, uh, is the Federation spying on the Romulans that effective? It's like, or it could have been that the Romulans did indeed inform the Federation. But why? Well, in case they that ship showed up on on Federation soil, they would be like they would know that it's not necessarily the Romulans. It's a you know a, a crazy faction person. You know, kind of like yeah. you've mm-hmm. seen the hunt for okay. Red October. Remember how the Russians eventually did tell yep. the United States that hey, we got a, a nuclear submarine out there, a rogue sub. Yeah. So I think it, it might be the okay. same scenario. So I, I see that as a possible explanation. Right. It's just it's like. The Romulans are paranoids. I, I, I just don't see them sharing anything they don't have to with us. But no, I agree with you. It, 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 I'm just – that's my explanation. Right. On page 14, Odin's hair changed from brown to uh, red. Oh, yeah, sure did. Uh, between yeah. two different panels. So uh, I thought that was a little little. But little I don't like that she changed but, genders, um, but she can change hair color. <laughs> ah, the wonders of the Trill and their symbiotes. Uh, and that's really all I have. Okay. I, I do just have a few comments about your synopsis. And, and Crusher's the one who says that she can make chicken soup if she had a chicken. I think in the synopsis you said Data said it. Uh, I'm pretty sure Data said that. Uh, unless I completely read it wrong, which it's possible. Yeah, on page 27. Because it's – because it's – okay. So I thought it was uh, Crusher who said if we could get – into the cells, we could wake them up. And then, rather sarcastically, Data comes back and says, well, <laughs> if I had chicken, I could make chicken soup. Saying that, well, we're, 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 we're all locked in. How are we going right. to do that? I, I see what you're saying, but on page 27, the thought balloon that says, okay. I could make chicken if soup if I had a chicken is not... Oh, it's a thought it, balloon? It's a, it's it a word balloon. Said? Word balloon, excuse me. But it's definitely pointing oh, okay. away okay. from data, so I think it's supposed to be Crusher in the other room. It's not a big deal. I was just... Oh, she was saying it to herself. I don't know. She was being sarcastic to herself. Yes. Or she was being sarcastic over what she just yeah, said. Yeah, I think that's, what she, I think that, that's the way data. I read it. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, that brings us to the end so next week we'll be back for the next generation episodes or i'm sorry issues 49 50 and 51 so let's hope they're great i'm sure they will full of the fine adventures of picard so looking forward to next week all right take care everybody see you next time later thank you for listening to star trek comic book review All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic.com. Second Name Book Review. 
See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.